Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Andrew, what is your middle name? I really want to clarify this in the worst way. I do not have a middle name. Uh, like the, the internet has sometimes given me one, um, but I do not have a legal middle name. I, I eventually asked my parents, hey, I don't have a middle name. Why is that? And my mom said, uh, because we wanted you to choose one. I never did actually choose one. And so it's Andrew Yang legally. Um, everything else is just a, you know, made up thing. So if you have the power to control Andrew Yang's Wikipedia page, it says Andrew M. Yang. That is bullshit. We don't know where the M came from. Do we know what that M stands for? I thought I thought it was middle name, man. I literally think that someone Andrew took, the man took, mid, took middle name and took an M. They there. got a good photo of you on here, man. Really good photo. Thank you, thank you, Wikipedia photo chooser. Welcome back to Yang Speaks. It's your co-host, Zach Grauman. Guys, folks, it is officially our 100th episode of Yang Speaks, or officially when we're celebrating it. We thought it'd be fun to bring back a little Zach and Andrew banter and do a little mailbag. We haven't done it in a while. So you guys asked, I put it out there on the podcast, ask, hashtag ask Yang Speaks. I got a whole bunch of questions. I'm just going to ask Andrew a whole bunch of them, see how many we get to, and get some good old Yang takes because you all know that's why you're here. So guys, happy 100th episode. If you've listened to all 100, I applaud you. Thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. I never thought anyone would think uh, Andrew or myself are that interesting to listen to us talk at 100 different times. We're excited. We love doing it. And this episode is a fun one. So tune in. We're doing a little mailbag, great mailbag episode of Yang Speak starting right now. Hello, everyone. And when I say everyone, I really mean Zach. Zach, it's We're a back, reunion. Baby. And why is it a reunion? It's a reunion because it's approximately the 100th episode of Yang Speaks. <laughs> I think technically it's something like 104th, but who's counting? It's a celebration of it. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening and been here with us from the beginning or from the middle or end, whatever. Um, really appreciate it. Love you all. And uh, I am so pumped to answer some questions that were sent by some of the folks who've been with us uh, the whole time. Um, so Zach and I are going to dig in. But first, uh, Zach missed you, man. I mean, heck. Uh, we haven't you know, done like, this in a while, man. I know. It's, it's been too long. 
Um, I hope people missed it out there in the world too, because you know, me and Zach had a little bit of staggered casting duties where like I'd be on Monday with someone, then Zach would be on Thursday with two someones, and then I would show up. And then you might have been out there thinking like, did Andrew and Zach break up? Do they hate each other? Um, I, I don't know if anyone is actually thinking that. I have no idea. But <laughs> <laughs> Still alive, man. Still going. Now, now they're thinking it. But of course, the fact that we're hanging out uh, <laughs> right, right, right now would, would uh, disabuse anyone of that thought. Um, but I have missed you. I have missed this. Uh, and this time, instead of discussing uh, specific current events in the way that we have in the past, instead, we're going to answer some questions. Everybody who used the hashtag AskGangSpeaks, first of all, thank you. Um, it was fun to read through. So let's dive in, man. Let's have some fun. We'll do some policy. We'll do some tech stuff. We'll do some fun stuff. So here's my first question. We got this a lot. Um, but this is from Kay Rosis um, at K-A-Y-R-O-S-I-S. Says 2018 OG Yang Gang here. Thank you for that. How has your diagnosis of what's wrong with America changed since you wrote your book, The War on Normal People? And what would you have done differently if you knew this in 2018? I love this question. A bunch of you asked it. Yang, what are your thoughts? Well, we are living a version of the future that I'd feared uh, back in 2018. And I just want to thank you, K Rosis. Love you. Uh, but I remember when Zach went through the War on Normal People, it's one of the things that caused him to quit his job and uh, join up to run the campaign. Uh, and we are living a version of that future, are we not? Uh, one thing that came out just today was that our job numbers have been very, very disappointing in terms of people coming back. I think they expected a million and got something like 270,000. That's kind of a big miss. And then uh, also an earlier number I saw got revised down from something like 700,000 to also like 276,000. Um, so the jobs numbers are really, really bad. Uh, we're still missing 8.2 million. People are saying, hey, it's because unemployment benefits are so high. Uh, I don't think that's the cause of the majority of this. Like maybe at the very margins, it might be doing something. Frankly, shootings and crime have spiked uh, in environments around the country. Mental health has gotten absolutely crushed. I mean, some of the numbers I, I saw said that over half of people are suffering from some kind of anxiety or depression. Uh, or, or mental illness. A lot of kids have been suffering from learning loss in a particular way. Uh, it, it's it's bad. Um, now, if you were to ask me what I would have done differently if I knew this in 2018, I mean, shoot, if I'd been, been able to see the pandemic coming, I mean, then I probably would have dropped everything and just gone and been like, hey, instead of warning people about the automation wave, I would have been like, there's going to be a pandemic. <laughs> we need to freaking get in front yeah, of that. It's been, at least on some level, somewhat encouraging that the policy responses at the federal level have kept growing in size and scope. Uh, you know, this child poverty tax credit could be a game changer for millions of families. I don't think it gets enough press. If you look into it, uh, it's going to send the equivalent of $300 a month to millions, maybe even tens of millions of families. Uh Clearly, the stimulus checks were the most popular thing in the rescue plan and the, the other relief acts where something like 85% of Americans liked it. Um, and, and I was always very firm in the belief that if we started putting cash in people's hands, people were going to love it and people were going to see that it worked. It was the best thing that we do. And then they're going to want more of it. And I, I very much believe that we're on that path. Everything you talk about didn't change. It actually started moving faster. It's dark. Um, let me ask you this. 
I've seen McDonald. There's, I mean, there's memes, and I don't know the numbers on this. And you just, and you just kind of touched on it, talking about this on the margins. McDonald's offering fifty bucks an interview and things like so. The low-paying jobs companies are struggling to fill, um, and I think you've known that when you talk about universal basic income. You're like, yeah, the jobs that are horrific on people either need to pay them more or they need to automate fast because it's you know, human suffering in some ways and exploitation. Um, but there's a, probably a transition period between a full UBI and then like this like gap in employment with those types of jobs. Like thoughts on how you help companies and people make that transition? That's a, that's a great question. I do think in some of those cases, I mean, you do just need to compensate more. Yeah. You totally do it. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if people had a certain level of subsistence and then uh, weren't getting exploited and then could actually make a choice whether they wanted or didn't want a job and then if the company wanted them to work, they need to maybe pay them more, give them better benefits. You know, like, uh, I think that's positive. Uh, the problem really is the transition. And it's one of the reasons why I really tried to uh, go through in my book, like what the steps could look like, because there's a, this real disease in American life, certainly in the media, where everyone just goes, okay, point A, point B, like, we're going to go here, here. And, you know, and, and then you're like, well, what about that incredibly long or brutal or disruptive interim period that will probably last X years? Um, so if, if you think about this situation with uh, fast food workers, it's like, what would my preference be? Uh, either pay people significantly more or automate the jobs. Uh, and then... The, the problem right now is this interim period where you have businesses that are like, oh, I actually can't pay you more, but, and we can't automate these jobs. And so like, what do we do? And, and you know, and, and then uh, now people are complaining. It's like, oh, people won't accept my shitty, <laughs> like, you know, uh, sub-subsistence uh, wage to, to do this job. So we're, we're in a period of mammoth transition. The fact that the labor market numbers are so bad um, is a sign that this transition is not going that well. And one of the things that I've always been very, very afraid of, which is one reason I was pushing so hard for cash relief this whole time, is that our government is such an imperfect administrator of trying to uh, make people whole or right the wrong. So you have like these PPP programs. And, you know, I'm so glad that they exist. But like, you got to know that there, there's been some really bananas inequities in terms of like who gets the PPP, what they use it for. Like there are some business owners who just access money and then, you know, frankly, like certainly didn't preserve jobs as a result. And then if you're less plugged in, then you're much less likely to get that aid. So it's one reason why I was so passionate about cash relief is like, well, at least they can know that you exist, you know, and if you exist, you get money. <laughs> Free money and, if you plug and, in, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was Chamath uh, um, Palapatiya who said, look, we should just be trying to make people whole and like, like, let these companies and their capital structures, uh, you know, figure it out. Um, uh, and that was a very interesting point. The, the issue is that we've said, look, let's make these institutions whole because it will help the people. But then it's only the people that are connected to the institutions that get protected and get made whole. And I saw this, uh, versions of this um, in the questions was, the economy is like a, like a flywheel, like a huge wheel. And once it's spinning, it's, un, it's almost unstoppable. You know, things do stop it. But um, when it stops, it takes a lot to get it started. Um, is cash relief the best lubricant to get that thing kick-started? Um, or thoughts like on the federal level that excite you both from the Biden administration or even they're not doing? Like, what else do you think? I agree with you in the like, cash relief. We've always agreed on that. Like, that needs to be, you got a mindset abundance. You got to get people plugged in. Um, but other things you think would... Um, help get us out of this hole? 
Mark Cuban had an idea I quite liked,、um, which is he wanted money that was kind of use it or lose it. Like you got to spend it within the week or it's gone. <laughs> you know,、um, you know, and then I suggested something that's like maybe just at locally owned small businesses, and like you know, he he wasn't a huge fan of that、uh, addition, but like I think there's something about kind of simulating activity,、um, and and cash is、uh, the the best thing, but it could even be improved on in a particular way. I, I was thinking about, for example. Let's say travel. Like, what would get you to travel again? And certainly, having money might help you travel.、Um, but maybe some crazy deal on like a travel thing might help you travel, or like you know what I mean. Like,、uh, like it might be possible to subsidize、um, some of the things that would generate activity. Malta is paying tourists up to two hundred forty bucks, two hundred euros, to travel to their country. See Malta, like this is what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to generate activity, you got to kind of be like、uh, the Maltese. You know, I I think our friend Pete Buttigieg is family might be from Malta. I think that might be right. Really? Yeah, should, I think that might be right. Check that. To me, it's like we've we've all over the past year become this creatures of internal almost laziness, right?、Um, it, where it's you're getting your food delivered, your groceries delivered, your streaming, your social activities are all in online or or non-existent. And we need to start incentivizing people just to physically get out of their places and physically、um, get up and at them. So I love the concept of like food trucks and like, hey, the food's cheap or free, incentivized if you, but you have to get out of your apartment. They don't deliver, right? Things like that. I don't know. Wow, look at that. Yeah, I, I think rewarding proximity is a really powerful and interesting idea. At Katie underscore M underscore Welch, thank you for the question. Ask the best affordable housing solutions you've seen nationwide, which I agree is like the other piece of poverty here and homelessness around the country whew, is a tough issue and accelerating this pandemic for sure. What are your thoughts? One of the the big innovations I have seen is that they have gone, come a long way in modular housing. It's not suitable in every、uh, environment. The biggest thing that Uh, that I've seen in like some specific locations has been 3D printed houses.、Um, now I gotta say the 3D printed houses that I have seen were not great. <laughs> in the sense you are like, oh yeah, this thing. But、um, but in terms of time built and、uh, cost, it was fascinating.、Um, so shipping containers, modular housing,、uh, 3D printed housing,、um, all have some. Serious potential.、Uh, I've seen dwellings that the average person would be pretty satisfied with. That that can be built for,、uh, you know, thirty, fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars in some cases, and it, it's very attractive. Not to say that things need to be low cost,、um, but th- those are the things that came to mind when you ask like about affordable housing solutions nationwide. One of the trends I found is community living is an easy is a fun way to share costs and make like, micro yes, housing. Yes, I'm a huge fan of like communal living. I think there should be more experiments in communal living. You know, I'm going to share something that I, I read a while ago that、um, uh, some people relate to.、Um, so Evelyn and I have been attracted to communal living or communes for a while. Really, when you have kids in particular, you're like, wow, kids are a lot of work. I sh- sure wish that we had、uh, like more people that we could like maybe have our kids play with their kids. Maybe we take care of their kids. They take care of our kids. Whatever it is, but apparently. When you look at commun- communal living and communes and commune culture, there's like a particular period during which the culture can remain very, very positive, but then it starts to veer towards the negative in a particular period of time. And that period of time has actually been measured. People have studied it,、uh, but I, the the number in my mind is something like seven years. It's imprecise, but like the principle is there that 
um, that apparently like the cultures of these kinds of environments um, can be very, very positive, but then tend to um, be hard to maintain. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So Water Bamboo Tray 1 says, are you invested in Dogecoin? <laughs> and uh, Water Bamboo Tray 1, I regret to say I am not invested in Dogecoin. Uh, you know, I just don't... <laughs> Like haven't been um, on top of a lot of things on that side. Uh, but if you are, it's had a great run. So congrats. And uh, I'm happy for it because uh, I yeah. think people are calling it um, the people's crypto and amen to that. Um, the, the future of crypto, what I'm excited about is ideally more people getting access to money and more access to assets, not just cash because um, they can grow f ideally faster and, 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 and more. Um, how much... <laughs> Uh, this is Dr. Sephrim at Dr. Underscore Sephrim. Uh, how much sleep do you lose regretting your betrayal of the Knicks? <laughs> the answer, Dr. Seraphim, is I don't lose any sleep because if, if I had been a hardcore fan over these last number of years, I would have been so miserable. And now that they're doing well, uh, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for them the way you are happy for like an ex-girlfriend uh, who you see doing well and you're like, oh, I'm glad. But it's not like you've been, you know, living and dying with their well-being uh, for the last number of years. So it, it feels really great. It feels really healthy. I'm still very happy for every Knicks fan. Um, if you've been through them this last number of years, you deserve every bit of success. And they are a very likable, well-coached team now. Uh, they've got some really rootable players. Uh, they've got a very bright future. It, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be a Knicks fan. So congrats to, to those uh, who are in that boat, uh, but no, I, I don't really lose sleep. <laughs> hey, would you consider taking your ex-girlfriend and Nick's back if James Dolan wasn't the, the owner? Like it was, yeah, or is yeah, it a done sure. deal? Okay. No, no, yeah. no, if, if, if James Dolan wasn't the owner, I would, I would take a long look for sure. Anyone who's a diehard sports fan, like I, I, felt, I felt this with the Bills, I was pretty close, they eventually got a new owner. Um, um, they're, the Sabres are a disaster for me. So like, I still have the, it's the same owner, but I'm a little, I get that. Cause it's tough to pour your heart and soul into something when you're just like, they'll never win because of this. So 
Maybe Thibodeau. No, no, and the crew I will say Jim Dolan, in his defense, he isn't one of those types of owners. It's like he, he is willing to spend, which frankly, in that context, mm. is one of the most important ingredients. <laughs> True, he is willing to spend. Um, so it's not like one of the you know, other types of owners that will just totally like you know. Um, it's like their play thing. Uh, Solid team for, for, for spare parts or whatever, and like try and right. profiteer in that way. He's not one of those. There are a lot of Knicks fans that can relate to me on this. I know it, and uh, I I was. Um, perhaps even more attached to Jeremy Lin and insanity than some other fans. But I know a lot of Knicks fans that when uh, Jeremy Lin left, they were just like, uh, you know, like down in the dumps and it took them a while to recover. It's just in my case, you know, like I, I, I uh, had a breakup experience. Ooh, this is one I've actually been curious. We haven't really fleshed out to. So at LS underscore progress for all tweeted out a four day work week would help many of our problems. Overworking, lack of jobs, carbon footprint, mental health. But even though... Andrew supports it. He doesn't seem to be prioritizing it. Why is that? And I don't like I, I that's I don't know if you're fair to say you're not prioritizing, but I guess it has been front of mind for you all the time. Thoughts on the four day work week and how would you actually get that done? Is that a that's a president of the country thing? How does that work? Thank you for the question. I certainly love the four day work week. Um, I do think it would actually really help us right now. Uh, you know, a lot of people are stressed out in the Zoom era. Uh, we could use some more jobs. Uh, it it would help um, the environment. Uh, and the the reason why I think, you know, maybe I haven't been uh, talking about it uh, of late is that it does strike me as like a very big national issue priority where, you know, like if, if you could uh, legislate it at some level, uh, at the federal level, um, then you can really start to move things. Um, but this has made me reflect on the fact that there may be other things in other environments that could help move this forward uh, because I'm a huge believer. Uh, I think a four-day work week really could help bring us back from the brink. Uh, many things where the average work week just keeps getting longer and longer. Uh, that may not even include all the always on and remote time and the rest of it. Uh, and a four-day work week could give us the genuine balance. So thank you. LS progress for all uh, because I'm all about it. Uh, man, maybe we can do something more. Anyone listening to this, organizations can do it. I don't know if you remember this, Zach. We had this conversation where with Humanity Forward, we were like, hey, you know how we're all for a four-day work week? Oh, yeah, do we you did. want to try to do a four-day work week at HF? And then we did it. And then it seemed to work great. Like, hopefully we can make it so everyone gets a long weekend. Oh, my gosh. Would life be better for all of us? That would be great. Um, all right, cool. I had a, a good UBI question that I thought was fun. Uh, at Fansharius said, should UBI be a percentage of GDP divided by the number of opt-in participants rather than a fixed amount? So you would adjust the amount you're giving in your universal basic income wage by the number of people opting in as a percentage of GDP. Thoughts on that? I thought it was interesting. Fansharer us. There were a number of proposals that I looked through before I ran for president on like what the UBI proposal should look like. And so some people were thinking about like, hey, how about you take um, like a carbon tax and you like divide it by number of people and we get this much money. Or there are different natural resources that we could use. In this case, you're saying percentage of GDP. And the reason I just went straight for a thousand a month is that it would be impossible to explain to anyone like, hey, you're going to get X and it's going to be arranged and like no one knows and the rest of it. I'm just like, screw it. Let's just give them like, you know, a number that everyone can understand. It's a thousand a month. Um, and, and so I did that for political reasons, like in, in terms of policy. Is that wiser? Um, I, I personally think that making a commitment to people that they can understand and that you're then on the hook for and then 
you know, you, you work with that uh, is a better approach um, because um, though, though I will say that obviously Alaska has had um, a fairly positive experience with the Alaska oil dividend, which is petroleum money divided by number of Alaskans, et cetera, et cetera. So um, they, they get a range in any given year. So they don't know what it's going to be. Uh, I think of late, it is ranged from maybe something like 800 to $1,500 a year per person. So that's like a significant range. Um, and it hasn't been the end of the world. So maybe there is something to like, uh, uh, some kind of total divided by number of people that, that could work fine, just like it did in Alaska. But I, I thought for political reasons and communication reasons, uh, you just want to set a number. To me, there's something to be said for, um, some of these benefits, particularly cash relief or anything really flying under the radar, you know, because like when it's front and center, you're like a thousand dollars a month for everybody. If you were president right now there'd be the Republicans lining up to stop that, right? People would be freaking out. But right now, under the Biden administration, there are, it's not $1,000 a month, but essentially with some of these childhood tax credits that are being front-loaded, there are families getting a form of a UBI right now, um, or are going to be soon, which is exceptional. I'm very proud of that. I think we had something to do with that. Um, And it's not dragged in the media whatsoever because it's kind of complicated and it's, a little bit under the rug between infrastructure and other things they're talking about in climate change. You know what I'm saying? In this case, too, it was also somewhat bipartisan, Zach, because some Republicans are for it. It's very pro-family. Um, and because it's pro-family, I don't think it ever will be dragged. Uh, you know, like, like the the child tax credit actually increases for a number of kids you have, which Republicans really like, because then it's like, oh, you have more kids, you get a bit more money, you can like raise them better. Uh, and Democrats obviously should love it. So I, I think it's going to be um, one of those rare, rare unicorns where like no one particularly wants to attack the child poverty tax credit. <laughs> All right. This is a good one. Um, and I, I know it's something you're passionate about. T- at Timbo Ghost 1989. Thank you, Timbo Ghost. I'd like to ask you all, how do we break down the widespread lies and misinformation in our society? So much human, ener- human energy is wasted, lost and misguided through people being misled and tricked. You know, we agree with that. Um, we had Tristan Harris on here too, talking about a, a point of this disinformation. Kevin Roos talked about. It. We had a number of guests talk about. It. Um, thoughts? Yeah. So, so some of you know that uh, I am working on a book. Uh, it's going to be out um, uh, toward the end of this year, um, but it, it tries to break down some of the reasons why we're all just uh, freaking trying to figure out what's true and not true, and like our, our society just can't agree on anything. And you're seeing it again with things around um, the vaccine and. Um, uh, uh, other things that we should hopefully be able to come together on. Um, so the, the three things I, I identified are uh, local news, cable news, uh, and social media uh, as all being problematic. Now, local news is problematic in that it's dying. Like, I actually think local news is one of the antidotes. But 2,000 newspapers have gone out of business, uh, and they were local papers, and local papers tend to be more down the middle. I mean, first, like if, if there's like, a, you know, a, a new um, bridge being installed in your town, there's not really like that much of a partisan spin, you know what I mean? Or it's like, or the Bridge's high school happening. team, or like how's it doing? Yeah. It's like, oh, like, you know, like you're not really um, <laughs> yeah. trying and to And you know the reporter usually, you see him at the bar, you see him at the kid's soccer game, whatever it is, right? There's a certain level of accountability instead of this like national figure writing op-eds. Absence of local journalism has been shown to make it so people just vote along party lines, which makes polarization worse, which is obvious. Like, if you don't know what the hell's going on, like, of course, you're just going to be like, ah, and this, like, show up and, and vote for whomever. But some of the, the deeper things, Zach, that I saw were just mind-boggling. Like, um, people run for office less because, like, who cares? No one's covering it anyway. 
the cost of municipal bonds goes up because people just don't care as much and it's like kind of corrupt. So what? like some, like so it, it just goes to show <laughs> local journalism kind of a thing, <laughs> kind of important. Um, and we had a, a talk with uh, Elizabeth Green of Chalkbeat a little while ago about this. So if you're really into this issue, you can go check it out. Um, uh, the second thing is that cable news just becomes so ridiculously polarized um, where you have these networks that are just very openly um, catering to certain audiences uh, and just giving them more of what they want ideologically and just uh, separating us out uh, from each other. Um, so when when we were running for president, Zach, uh, you know, I did so much cable news in part because it's one of the only games in town. Like, let's say you're, you're a candidate trying to get uh, some attention. It's like, well, you have like network news programs. It's like, they're not going to have you on. At most, they might have you on once, you know. And then if they had you on once, then you're not going to be back for a while. Whereas cable news, they're enough different programs, like in the same channel. You can they got to fill 24 people. hours of content, man. They've got 24 hours of content to fill. Like network news maybe has like an hour or two or something like that. And so, um, and so uh, you wind up with people being in somewhat uh, ideological echo chambers uh, through cable news. Um and then the third, the biggest culprit is obviously like social media, just, you know, making it so that everything is questioned. Conspiracy theories are uh, rampant and attract millions of adherents. Um, so this is a very long winded way of answering when, when Timbo Go says, hey, you look at all these problems. Uh, the immediate fixes in my mind are uh, invest in local journalism. And there's actually a law in Congress called the Local Journalism Sustainability Act that, believe it or not, would put billions of dollars into helping newspapers survive. Um, and other types of publications, but primarily newspapers. Um, give everyone a tax credit for getting a local new subscription, giving businesses a tax credit for advertising in the paper. It's like, it's really good stuff. Um, and I, for the life of me, have no idea why Congress has not passed it because red states are losing their papers just like blue states. I mean, like, look around and being like, do you really not want a town paper in your town? I mean, like, like that's not, should not be a partisan issue. Um, and, and the, the local journalism sustainability act is just like tax credits and other things that's like not going to affect the nature of the information. Um, uh, on the cable news side, I would bring back the fairness doctrine, which is when back in the day when you were supposed to show two sides of a political issue, um, which, uh, you know, people would hem and haw and scream bloody murder. But frankly, I think media was more rational, um, pre- uh, 1987 or whenever that that really uh, died and I'm old enough to vaguely remember news from that era it was very boring it was just like you know people just saying the same stuff like would boring should news be, be the boring. worst thing in the world it should be medicine let people entertain elsewhere that's my thought yes and then social media so social media my, my my proposal in this direction is that uh it needs to be ad free like we just make this thing ad free and then that that would help a lot um so you know, c contrast something like Netflix and YouTube, um, where Netflix is serving you content, but it's ad-free and like, you it. pay for it. And yeah. It's a walled garden. Um, and then YouTube, it's just going to like, you know, just it's bombard free, you baby. because, yeah, like, you know, it's got to go down that rabbit hole. Um, and, and so that, that no, these would be massive changes. Uh, I think that they would help. And then even after you do all of these things, Timbo Ghost, uh, it still wouldn't really do the trick. It would like, you know, heal some of the damage. Uh, and so I have this vision and I have no idea how we're going to get it done. Um, but we need a body of people. And I think it's going to be people actually that other people actually trust. <laughs> like, 
And if you try to imagine, and this is something I'd love for everyone listening to this to do, because I, I do this every once in a while, and unfortunately, it's getting worse. Who are these um, people? But, yeah, who are these people? Who are the most trusted <laughs> figures in American life today? Right, where you're like, draft. okay, who's your top draft pick? You know, I, 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 the first name that came to mind for me is uh, still Barack Obama. I think he'd be on the list. I would have picked Oprah. Non, I would have Oprah, Oprah's on the list. Uh, I yeah. agree. So this is something that I I, uh, I think would be necessary to bring us back from the brink is that you have folks who just people believe and believe in. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing, you don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. Andrew, what is your middle name? I really want to clarify this in the worst way. I do not have a middle name. Uh, the, the internet <laughs> has sometimes given me one, um, but I do not have a legal middle name. I, I eventually asked my parents, hey, I don't have a middle name. Why is that? And my mom said, uh, because we wanted you to choose one. I never did actually choose one. And so it's Andrew Yang legally. Um, everything else is just a you know, made up thing. So if you have the power to control Andrew Yang's Wikipedia page, it says Andrew M. Yang. That is bullshit. We don't know where the M came from. Do we know what that M stands for? I thought I thought it was middle name, man. I literally think that someone Andrew took, the man took, mid, took middle name and took an M. They there. got a good photo of you on here, man. Really good photo. Thank you. Thank you, Wikipedia photo chooser. Elon Adler asks, what ended up happening with the Ted Cruz basketball game? Before you answer, I'm happy to say that Ted Cruz has gotten more hateable since he dropped the ball in this basketball game, which I didn't think was possible. Okay, go ahead. I, I think most people know this. So um, Ted Cruz said something on Twitter, and then I said, Ted, I'd be happy to defeat you in basketball. And he said, bring it on. And then I said, great. And then I said, let's do it. Um, and then uh, radio silence. And I did hear through someone who knew someone that they eventually came to the opinion that playing me was a bad idea. 
um, in that they, that that they they thought yeah. he would lose. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I will share the story that might entertain people. So shortly after this challenge was accepted by Ted Cruz, uh, I went on Jimmy Kimmel's show, and uh, I don't know if you you remember Jimmy Kimmel played Ted Cruz for charity once in. Uh, no. Uh, I think in it was Houston. A painful basketball game to watch. And so then I asked uh, Jimmy, I was like, hey, Jimmy, I might play, play, play Ted Cruz in basketball for a charity very soon. Do you have any guidance for me? And then he like, you know, said to me, he was like, he grabs, he holds. <laughs> He's like, this guy, this freaking guy. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, uh, that was the scouting report from Jimmy. Uh, but it was literally, he just like went radio silent and no showed and, and just, uh, you know, uh, and his staff apparently decided it was a, a bad value prop for them. I really would have enjoyed that game. I think I would have won. <laughs> you would have won. You would have run around him. And we've been, we would raise money for charity. It would have been great. Data is a property right. Haven't talked about it a lot um, or a lot recently, but used to talk about it a lot. Anything exciting you in that realm or thoughts there? I did speak to some folks who were um, advising the New York State Legislature about this issue, and they were studying the law in California. Um, so that would be great news. Uh, so um, most of you know that the CPRA in California passed uh, this past November, um, and it's only been six months, so there haven't been massive moves uh, since then. Um, but the fact that New York is studying it is a very big deal because I think that if New York were to adopt some version of enhanced data protection that, that shows that our data is ours and, uh, and our property, uh, that would be very, very powerful. I think that if you got California and New York, uh, that the feds may follow and that you might have a national framework. Um, so that, that's my exciting update on data as a property right, is that, uh, it, that the California victory is having ripple effects in other parts of the country. And I guarantee you that New York is not the only state that's looking at it. Mark Munoz, 23, on Twitter said, what would you say to someone wanting to run for Congress but has no idea where to start? Oof. Well, Mark, uh, what, what a great question. And I, I say, uh, I actually read a chapter about this in, in my book that's upcoming. There are books out there that talk about like the right way to run for Congress. Uh, you know, um, but uh, in my opinion, there may not be any right way to run for Congress. There are a number of people who supported the presidential campaign who decided to take the plunge. Uh, here on Yang Speaks, we recently talked to two of them, uh, Wendy Hamilton and Erica Rhodes, and they had some background uh, of activism. Um, I think it's a real act of courage uh, and vision for both of them. Um, so, Mark, there are resources that will tell you the right way. Uh, you know, one thing to do is to get involved with local politics. Uh, another thing is just to try and take it on um, and, and see what you can do. Uh, Blair Walsingham's another person that comes to mind for me. She eventually raised over $100,000 and became the Democratic nominee um, in her district in, in Tennessee. The first thing I'd ask you is why you want to do it. Um, do you have a really powerful reason to run? And if that powerful reason is something where Andrew has, like, I think we need to rewrite the rules of the economy, then you should shoot for the moon. If there's like an awareness thing or that sort of thing. But if it's mainly, which is a lot of people running, is like, I think I would be better at this than most people because I'm a good person. I'm well-read. I'm articulate, passionate, like people. Then you got to find the right race to run in. Um, and sometimes it's starting local and like building up slowly. Um, and you can stay at those offices for like short periods of time. You're not talking about you know, waiting your time on a bench for years and years and years. Um, 
but the reality is you have to raise a bunch of money. So you got to look and see who can, who can actually, who in my network, who in my friends of friends, who in the Democratic Party would actually be open to giving me 10, 20, 100, 1,000, whatever the yeah, number is. Or, or another party. Um, and so or, yeah, or the, Republican, yeah. Yeah, or the, the, the rule of thumb uh, for a congressional campaign um, is to imagine that you have to raise $300,000 in order to run in like a, a normal district. Um, which is frankly well beyond the reach of like the vast majority of humans uh, in in this country. I mean, you know, like like who's gonna and it, it's not like you can have a rich uncle just give you three hundred k either. I mean, there's gonna be a contribution limit yeah, for in individuals so you get like a, a ton of people. Yeah. So uh, so Mark, that 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 is the rule of thumb or the conventional wisdom. I, I will say that sometimes fuck the conventional wisdom. I mean, who cares? But that that is something that um, you know the the quote unquote experts uh, set as a benchmark. The problem with politics, one of it, like, it gets easier the longer you do it. They get, you know, so if you've been, if you if you're a state rep, then it's easier to run for Congress, and if you're a Congress, it's easier to run for senator. Like people, the, the establishment, it's an institution, right? It's like finance, it's like insurance, it's, it's a there's a whole machinery around it. Now that said, I'm with Andrew. Sometimes you just got to blow the whole thing up, which we did. I think I would say this: if you feel it in your heart, you should do it. Um, and it's hard, but it's super rewarding. And most people who talk about it done it. Like it's frustrating if you don't win. Um, but I, t- I know a lot of people who ran and did not win, and uh, they almost always grew a ton as a result. Um, and, and I think that's true for people who run for lots of different offices. So I'd encourage you to run, Mark, um, and if not for Congress, maybe for something else. Like, I genuinely think it'll uh, make you a bigger person. Certainly, I grew a ton, uh, you know, running for office. And I wouldn't be here hanging, talking to, to Zach and all of you right now, that's for sure. Um, uh, and, uh, the last question I see here is from sunny Wolf 42. Andrew, if you could talk to your younger self, what would you say? Zach, let me hit you with that. What would you tell young Zach? I would tell me to take more risk. Like I wish I had jumped on an Andrew Yang bandwagon or plan earlier. Um, because I think, I think we're all in these, you're in this like we're all in these, whether it's lanes for some people where it's like you go middle school and high school and college for some, or it's like you feel like you're trapped in this. And I think um, if you can take a crazy risk or get off that beaten path, um, you should, um, because we need people. That's where all the that's where all the fun stuff happened, because everybody in their mother said, Andrew, you should not run for president. You have no reason doing it. Everybody. There's not one person. There's like, I mean, a small handful of people that said, go ahead and do it. But the vast majority were like, you're effing nuts. And it was the right decision ten, tenfold, right? Um, so I wish, to me, I wish I'd like learned to think outside the box a little differently and try and get off that path sooner. So that's what I would say. Um, but in one ways, I wouldn't want to change it because I ended up where I am. I don't work with you, so... Oh, well, thank you, Zach. That means a ton to me, man. Uh, I, um, I, I'm so, like, thrilled and proud uh, that you and I work together. Like, it's, it's really an honor to, to be able to work with you. Um, Likewise, brother. What would you say to your young self? For, for me, I know it would be a, the advice that I probably could not never follow, um, which is just to try and take it easier on myself when I was younger. When I was younger, I was always so wrought up and caught up and just like down on myself because like I, you know, didn't do enough, wasn't, uh, good enough and whatever it was. Um, and, uh, or like, uh, you know, women, uh, didn't like me or call me back and it would like, you know, make me sad for 
days and days and days. Just uh, like if I could tell myself, just like, man, just, you know, be at ease, like things end up working out for you in ways that you can't imagine. Like it's good to try and genuinely like enjoy yourself in these moments. But I was very bad at that when I was younger. I I really wasn't uh, terribly at ease or laid back about what my present or future held. And I I always felt like I, I needed to be doing something more, uh, yeah, that there wasn't an, uh, as much joy as there could have been when I was young. Um, I have this strange exercise, Zach, that happens to me now where I, uh, I'm trying to go to sleep and maybe I can't sleep at night, uh, or at least easily. I sleep quite well, just so everyone knows, but, um, but like maybe, you know, there's like, uh, there are a few minutes when, when like you're having a hard time getting to sleep and I start counting, um, just one, two, three, four, five, and then each number, I try and remember something from that year of my life. So obviously I can't remember anything like one, two, three, and then four, I start remembering something, five. And I'm not remembering anything specific. It's like an image or a flash or an emotion. Uh, And then I just keep going five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Uh, And, uh, you know, and, and then eventually I'm getting into, you know, like 25, 30, 30. I don't like remembering like, you know, who I was and, at least maybe like a moment of something I experienced uh, during that year of my life. Uh, And then by the time I get to 46, which is what I am now, um, you know, I'm sort of like in the present and somehow it relaxes me somehow like imagining this arc of, uh, you know, like, like the, the years of my life, like, you know, then I I kind of feel more at rest. But if you looked at like the way I was in year 24, 25, 26, 27, I was like always so, tense and, uh, um, trying to figure it out, uh, you know, trying to make progress. A lot of the times when I couldn't make progress, I would just do something that gave me a feeling of progress, uh, that you can control. So like the basic one during those years for me was going to the gym. It's like, well, like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe relationships aren't exactly materializing the way I want, or maybe my career is not going the way I want, but I can pump this iron. <laughs> Personal max today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could, like I could do that. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and you can argue whether that was like a healthy or, uh, unhealthy way to channel that feeling. Uh, but I had that feeling my entire, uh, um, twenties, I'd say, um, I met Evelyn when I was 31 and I thank goodness that I didn't meet her until then because I just started to mellow out enough so that when, you know, she met me that I could, I, I could, like be someone that frankly you could build like a healthy long-term relationship with. And if she had met me at any other point, I, she like would not have, we would not be married today. Like I, I, I know this a hundred percent in part Zach, um, because I don't know if people know this, but so I, I was like start, you know, going out with Evelyn. Um, and then, uh, after like a few dates, um, she writes me an email and says like, Hey, I don't think we should see each other anymore. Um, and, uh, and then I take this email and like, I'm saddened obviously. Um, but then I genuinely write her back about how like, yeah, you know, I totally understand you should like, um, go, uh, like enjoy yourself and like, you know, have great experiences because she'd come out of like a long-term relationship at that point. And so she wrote me being like, essentially the, like, I'm not ready to actually date anyone. Um, and so I said like, yeah, like totally get it. Like, you know, like, uh, like I, I want you to, um, um, to go do like, uh, whatever it is that, you know, you wish you'd been doing this past period of months. And I, I hit send on this email and then I genuinely, 
was like sat down on my couch was like, okay, I'm never going to see her again. And I was very sad, but like, I was actually able to accept it and I would never have been able to accept it in any kind of like even moderately healthy way when I was 29, 28, 27, like I, I would have been like completely um, keyed up. And then if I had written her back in, like it, it would have come through like how wounded I was. Um, um, but because I was like at least somewhat at peace with it um, at the age of 31, she then called me like a couple days later and was like, Hey, what are you doing? You want to like, which I obviously <laughs> mis- it like mystified me completely. Cause I was like, I thought I was not to, we just broke you know, up. Yeah. <laughs> see you again. Uh, but I am free. And so I just, you know, went to where they were. And then the next night I would like say like the same thing happened several nights in a row where it was like, Hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? And then each time, even after I'd go out and hang out with her and her friends somewhere, I'd be like, and never going to see her again. And like, it just <laughs> happened several times. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, I would try and go back in time and tell myself to relax. Um, but I, you know, I just wasn't capable of it at that point. So if you're young and you can relate to that, um, just so you know, you, you do mellow out. At least I did. I, I think you're like a relatively intense guy in like a um, in a productive way. So I'm I'm curious to think of curious to imagine what intense Andrew is like younger Andrew. Um, how much of a workhorse you probably were. If that's what you're talking about. But um, your answer made me rethink mine. Is like honest. Like as a kid, you. I wish I knew uh, not to care what other people think so much. You know, there's a I, Dr. Seuss has a quote. It's like. Uh, be who you are, say what you feel, I think, because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. And it's like, if you can't be yourself, you don't want to be around those people. If people don't like you for who you are, you don't want to be around them anyway. Um, I wish I knew that at a younger age. I kind of learned that in college. And look, if weren't for that email, man, we wouldn't be here for sure. I, I genuinely have <laughs> that. I was like, I, I really should just like uh, be be thanking uh my lucky stars uh, for whatever i put in that email, <laughs> that email. every freaking day because like who knew that's who your angel knew? got in your hand man anyway guys thank you for tuning into our mailbag we'll try and do this a little more often if we can the schedules are thank crazy you, as thank you, know. you thank you for uh being here for me and zach and the podcast and supporting us it means the world to both of us uh i'm so thrilled that we got to this 100th episode celebration uh, here's to a hundred more then a hundred more after that. Um, because this, this podcast is really special to me and important to me. Like it, it's something that, uh, I value, um, that, you know, just because it's like, uh, like it enables me to, um, think and process and interact and socialize sometimes in like a particular way. Like I, I'm, I'm so grateful and we couldn't do this without everyone listening to this right now. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Amen. And on a fun note, uh, fact check Pete Buttigieg's dad is from Malta. Well done, Andrew, as usual, spot on remembering that type of fact. 